0: really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelylea.com or at thelovelylea on Instagram so we can connect. Become a Patreon supporter to get access to behind the scenes of our guests, freebies, early access to new episodes, discounts on merch, and more. Hey guys, I hope you had an amazing week. Um, we just had a blowout of input about last week's episode and I'm so glad that you guys enjoyed it so much. Um we like I got message after message about it and we covered so much that I believe really blew blew my mind as well as blew your minds and that's that's always a good thing. And this week we have a different type, different speed of episode that I think it was really going to catch your attention and hopefully uh, affect you in a very similar way. Um but just to give you like an update, um this week I've been uh, traveling and, um, I haven't, haven't traveled since all the COVID stuff went down. I came back home in March. Um, and so, uh, the only reason I'm traveling this week is because we had a wedding to shoot, uh, that we scheduled some time ago. And so, uh, came down here and it was just really nice to get by the water and have some time to like really clear my mind and, um, just have an opportunity to connect. Um, me and my partner just had like a really, really good time um just getting getting out of the work rigmarole like i 've just been like grinding for the last like couple months, so it 's just been really nice to have a break of some sort um so yeah, so actually i'm talking to you guys now from our hotel room <laughs> uh and it 's funny because the audio might be a little shit this week because i'm using like this teeny tiny microphone that plugs into your phone because i don't want to bring all my expensive gear uh down here. I like to travel light and so um You know, it's funny, the stupid things that we get self-conscious about, but you know, whatever, here's the raw, (laughs) raw audio. Um, yeah. So anyway, so we have a listener questioner coming up, but before that, remember that you can always submit a question either via Instagram on my DMS, or you can submit here on anchor and I look forward to talking to you soon. So let's get into it. Hey,
1: Leah. My question is about Marconix energy healing. Uh, it's something that I got into last year, and um, the, my sessions, my energy healing sessions, were incredible. Uh, reading the book was quite, quite the experience. There were a lot of things I picked up and a lot of things I decided not to pick up. Um, but one thing that kind of bothered me is that they recommended not participating in any other sort of energy healings because um, they say it'll sort of muddle with this um, ascension journey that I'm on. And I don't really know what to believe. This is my first time delving into this world. And while I wanna, I'm wanna, i enjoying this rise and I want to stay on this path, I want more. I feel like I'm putting myself into a box and I want to try other things like Reiki and whatever it is that comes up. So I don't know if this is a marketing scheme that they're on or if it's the actual truth. I I want to stay in a higher vibration and I'm afraid of getting on a lower one. Um, so let me know what you think.
0: Thank you so much, Stephanie, for your question. Um, it's interesting. I have not heard of Marconics before. I think that's super cool that you are uh, delving into new practices and trying to find new ways to explore uh, energy and vibration. But, um, you know, my the first thing that comes to mind is like, if you feel like you're being put in a box, then you need to listen to your intuition and open yourself up to other things that feel good to you, like where you're driven towards what you're driven towards. I will always, always, always say lead with your intuition. Um, as far as the muddling thing goes, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true to a degree. I know that if you take on like with anything, it doesn't necessarily have to just be energy. It could be if you decided to go into, you know, the arts or something and you wanted to try um, watercolors and oil paintings and drawing and, you know, uh, illustration or something and you wanted to do all of them at the same time, it would be very difficult to focus most of your energy towards one thing. And so in that way, I think maybe they're trying to portray more of a focus of like trying to decide like what direction you want to go in. But if your energy is pulling towards something else and you're wanting to discover more aspects, you know, because maybe that's not fitting in the direction you want to go, it's opened up the direction you want to go to, but not necessarily fitting what's, um, you know, essentially, you know, tapering your thirst, if you will, then I do believe that, you know, for yourself, you need to explore other options and check out some other things to get an idea of what you want to put your focus towards. Um, as we always answer on these questions is listen to your intuition first. Um, I don't, I don't know necessarily so much that I feel like my energy, if I decide to give my energy to something over another thing necessarily muddles it. But I will say that spreading your energy too thin can do that thing. I just don't think that you deciding to do Reiki and also this other marconics thing is necessarily going to muddle your energy and a vibratory pattern as much as i think that it'll just divert your focus and so maybe give yourself an opportunity to have a trial time where you get to try new things and explore like i mean like look at our podcast we have so many different topics and subjects and things that people can kind of open themselves up to but there's always going to be particular things that resonate with certain people and that will open up their interest and maybe be a stepping stone towards something that they really would like to do but ultimately don't end up doing or end up finding another path towards that thing so you make that decision for yourself you will being in fear essentially will take you to the lower vibration that you're talking about. Um, but try not to make so much of a hierarchy about being fearful of being out of a positive or negative vibration, lead into yourself and into your own intuition. And I believe that that will lead you where you're supposed to go. I hope that answers your question. Now let's move on to the episode. Dr. Tama Bryant-Davis is a licensed psychologist, ordained minister, and sacred artist who has worked nationally and globally to provide relief and empowerment to marginalized persons. Dr. Tama, a professor at Pepperdine University, is a past president of the Society of the Psychology of Women, and her contributions to psychological research, policy, and practice have been honored by national and regional psychological associations. Dr. Tama earned her doctorate from Duke University, completed her postdoctoral training at Harvard Medical Center, and is a past American Psychological Association representative to the United Nations. She has served as a mental health media consultant for numerous print, radio, and television media outlets, including, but not limited to, The Huffington Post, NPR, CBS, Oxygen, CNN, BET, TV One, Lifetime, and WeTV, as well as her own podcast named The Homecoming Podcast with Dr. Tama. It is a podcast to facilitate your journey home to yourself by providing weekly inspiration and health tips. She's also known on Instagram for a safe place to breathe with quotes to ask people to return to themselves that break societal norms of what people consider to be health and success. Please welcome Dr. Taman to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I'm your host, Aaliyah Lovely, and today I have the honor and pleasure of bringing you Dr. Tama Bryant, who is an incredible, incredible just person all around. She's a peaceful place to look at on the internet, especially these days when all kinds of shit is going down. (laughs) So it's been very, very um, fun following you, to say the least, but can you say hey to everybody?
2: Hello. Hey, good to see you. Good to hear you and glad to be present with you all.
0: Thank you. Um, So today we're going to talk about ancestral trauma and essentially like battle exhaustion and what it's been like through this last year, um, through a lot of our entire lives, like what we've been going through, how we absorb it. I've listened to a couple of your podcasts on it and you speak so eloquently and so peacefully on some of the things that we've been going through that are faced with so much energetic trauma. And it's difficult as a person of color, it's probably difficult as a person not of color, um, to deal with a lot of these realities and kind of facing back and forth. How do we essentially release some of this trauma that we've been dealing with so our spirit can be free from what has been happening to our humanity over and over and over again? And so before we really get into that, can you tell people kind of an in-depth view about who you are, where you came from, um, what led you to this place to be such a pleasant presence in the face of
2: such dark times. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that uh, warm introduction. And uh, so I'm Dr. Tama, and I'm a psychologist and a minister, and I really enter this space uh, and enter this work from a holistic place Uh, And literally, when I say mind, body, spirit, I mean mind, body, spirit, I entered into this work as a result of being the daughter of a pastor. And so growing up uh, in the Black community, oftentimes people didn't go to therapy. Uh, They would go and talk to their minister. And so uh, as I grew up, I would always have uh, people calling our home in distress and difficulty, and if my parents weren't available, they were gonna talk anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I uh, quickly, I really tuned into the the gift of bearing witness Mm -hmm. and of listening and affirming and supporting. And um, what uh, researchers have found is on average, mental health professionals endorse lower spirituality and religiosity than the general public. And so what does it mean for people without faith or spirituality is central to guide people toward their healing, and those people find it significant in their meaning and identity, it means it often gets left off the table. Mm-hmm. And so I integrate uh, faith and spirituality, which is why I love what you're doing here.
3: Thank you. And
2: then also uh, integrating the body. So growing up, um, I grew up dancing, and I know how uh, dancing helped me to language things we have no words for. And it also made me aware of the ways in which we hold trauma in the body. Mm -hmm. Um, As the book says, the body keeps the score or the body remembers. And so um, I come into it really, not only celebrating spirituality, incorporating the body, but also being very mindful of our culture. And I was blessed uh, to grow up in a community and family that really celebrated our identity and uh, the need for us to resist uh, the various forms of oppression that bombard us. And so uh, I love doing this work. I teach um, at Pepperdine University. So helping students who are getting their graduate degree in uh, either their master's or doctorate in psychology. And I have a private practice primarily working with trauma survivors um, primarily Black, Indigenous people of color, and uh, yeah, that's who I am. Beautiful, beautiful.
0: Now, um, earlier today, I listened to one of your podcasts where we where you talked in depth about ancestral trauma and how people uh, receive epigenetical trauma, even how it's passed down through not only um, you know traditions and environment, the nurture uh, uh, avenue, but also through their genes, like through their programs, through their DNA. And I've always been super interested in that because um, you know we all have kind of this these ingrained fears that already kind of like come up in um, some of the traumas that our grandparents experienced. I was- w- watching a meme or something that showed that you were inside of your grandmother at some point because you were an egg developed in your mom at that point, so whatever trauma she was going through at the time is also encoded through you and your DNA so I always found that really fascinating um can you first before we Get into it. Tell people um, essentially what's the definition of ancestral trauma and uh, the dif- the definition of epigenetical trauma and what the difference
2: is. Yeah. So with uh, they they are definitely overlapped and we have multiple terms. Some people will also refer to historical trauma, and then there's literature also looking at intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of ways these all overlap, but the the core themes are. Uh, we are not just carrying the experiences of our lifetime and the ways in which we uh, inherit these wounds are uh, physiological, but they're also uh, cognitive in terms of it being learned. And then they're also observational of what we saw uh, growing up. And so I'll just speak to those three things briefly. Uh, the the physiological is we recognize a, a word called neuroplasticity, which just means the brain can change, mm-hmm. right? And so the, the devastating part of that is that if we uh, endure trauma, and oftentimes this is long-term trauma, um, it has an impact on the brain that literally when we do scans and look at the brains of those who have experienced trauma versus those who don't, uh, we see you know a shift in activity um, in particular regions of the brain The good news about that is, is healing can also change. That's when we talk about not only programming, but reprogramming. Mm -hmm. Uh, But often our ancestors were not given the space, opportunity, or relief for healing. And so then what is getting passed down is the trauma. There has been uh, research done in this area with multiple groups a lot of the neurological research has been done looking at descendants of the Holocaust. And so they look at your descendant of the Holocaust versus those who are not uh, noticing the the differences uh, in the brain scan. And so uh, a part of that dynamic is when we are facing danger, we go into either hyper alert or we're shut down Mm. and our bodies were not created for that to be a sustainable state. And yet many of us have have had to live in that place as opposed to like, oh no, there's a bear. Let me like rally my resources and now I can calm back down. But as we can see, even with this 2020, when we keep being bombarded, it's like, when do I get, like, what is the norm, right? When I live in this space um, of toxicity and dysfunction and danger. And so it becomes even more challenging uh, to figure out what I refer to as our homecoming, our our place within ourselves, our place within community and relationship, uh, where there can be some sense of uh, peace, clarity, alignment, balance. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we have the physiological transmission or the bodily transition, the brain transmission passing down. But we also have uh, the way we were taught. If you think about the fact that, you know, if you have lived through a major atrocity, trail of tears, uh, lived through enslavement, uh, it's going to affect the way you parent, mm-hmm. right? It affects the way you show up in life, that you're going to prepare your children for a different reality. And so those of us who grew up here and you have to be twice as good and that, you know, people are not going to accept you in these spaces, um, that you can't ever let them see you sweat, you have to mask and not... Covid mask, but just cover up your feelings and needs. Um, and then the last type of transmission is just observing. So not only what your parents or caretakers told you, but how you saw them operate when you all went into a space uh, uh, where you were marginalized, where you were one of a few. Noting how people talk to your parents and how your parents showed up in those spaces, uh, we pick up on those messages consciously and unconsciously. Yeah. Wow.
0: I mean, okay. So for myself, I can speak for myself as a person of color, uh, Native American and black. And uh, my first memory of us being different was when my mom took us to, I may have been like six or seven and she took us to a pet store and my mom like obsessed with dogs. She loves dogs. And um, we went to go look at the puppies with the rest of the kids. And there was this woman who was giving us this stare, the woman who worked there. And the stare was something as a six-year-old that I recognized this is not okay. Like, I don't feel good. I don't feel safe here. Mm -hmm. Um, and my mom immediately her energy changed and like, she was like, Hey, we need to go, we need to go, you know, whatever. And we decided to leave. And I said, mom, and my mom was so upset. She started to cry, but tried to show like, you know, shield it from us. And I said, mom, what's wrong? Like, what's wrong? Why was that lady looking at us like that? Mm -hmm. And she was just like, you know, this is, you know, you're old enough now to know there's some people who don't want us here. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why don't they want us here? You know, like right. really confused by that. Yeah. It's because we're different. And like that kind of um, imprintation yes. from then on made yes. me very socially aware. Okay, am I different here? Am mm-hmm. I different there? Do I need to behave a certain way? Right, us really shaped my school years about the way that I behaved. You talk mm-hmm. too white, you don't talk white enough um you don't fit in like i changed schools the the black kids said you think you're too cute the white mm-hmm. kids said you don't belong here ugly blah blah you mm-hmm. know so there was just kind of this like yeah. i didn't feel like i belonged and so yeah anyway trying to work through that essentially a self trauma mm-hmm. and also trying to absorb what that is i denied my blackness for a really long time because i thought in the survival mode yeah. that would help me mm-hmm. like, succeed better so be able to achieve more through that process. Now, um, before we go more into that too, like what was your experience like that growing up? Uh, Where did you grow up
2: at? I grew up uh, primarily in Baltimore, Maryland, and we get at this piece of uh, internalized racism or internalized oppression Mm. uh, because the thing I was ridiculed about was looking too African. And Mm. this is growing up in a Black community attending a primarily Black school mm-hmm. where, you know, we have the realities of colorism right, and right. where people would, you know, it would be like the insult of the year to say to someone, you look like an African, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I remember so that. Uh, that kind of uh, messaging and, and we get at like, where does that come from, right? It didn't originate with these families or within these communities uh, but the realities of white supremacy, which is why, you know, I appreciate you sharing the piece about denying uh, blackness because we have the realities of racism overall, but then in particular, anti-black racism where, you know, there is this hierarchy promoted mm-hmm. and even within that hierarchy is like, you don't want to be at the very bottom, right? What right. can I do? And, and that also gets at this push uh, to be uh, extra great, extra on point point you know, uh, almost like this striving for perfectionism. And I think that's a part of the devastation that we see uh, with the murder of Brianna, Mm. because she was an essential worker, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, so people keep highlighting on like, she was doing good things with her life. And this idea of like, uh, as you were saying, if I talk well, if I live well, if I get my education, like that somehow looking for what will protect us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so really, um, for me those those childhood w- wounds you know it's important to to know their different domains of self-esteem and so you can feel great about yourself in one category and then terrible in another so i feel felt great when it came to like academics i was always on the honor roll i felt great when it came to talent i was always dancing in the talent show um, but what had to heal my ideas around beauty and worth as a girl and later a woman Was actually in high school, I had the opportunity to live overseas for two years. So I actually lived in Liberia, West Africa. Mm. And so it was incredible to go from being ridiculed in Baltimore to moving to Liberia and literally getting off the plane and people saying, Oh my God, you're so gorgeous. (laughs) It's (laughs) like the the face did not change, right? From one flight to the next. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it's like a whole different worldview. Mm. And so, you know, I'm grateful that when I then went off to college, I had a a deeper sense of myself. I had a greater clarity about who I was. Um, but the, but those messages are so painful and pervasive, uh, that, you know, that is why we have to do such a job as parents or mentors and teachers to really affirm um but to name, as your mom did, to name the realities that people are living in, and still to to build um, our young people up, because so many messages, even visually on billboards, or who gets to be the leading lady, even we get into body shaming and mm-hmm. sizeism, right? all of these things that are intentional to talk us out of our power and our beauty. Mm,
0: yeah, wow. There was something you said earlier about Brianna Taylor and how people were saying she did good things and she was yeah. doing this and she was doing that. And actually we're going to go into uh, battle exhaustion later about that. But um, it was interesting because when someone dies this way, there's always the, like, try to find the accolades that makes them worthy of not dying. Yes. But had the position been a bit different <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, with someone else, like we wouldn't have quite have seen that. Um, what's interesting to me is and explicitly
2: a white woman, right? If a white woman had been shot in the middle of the night, we wouldn't have to say, but she's an essential worker. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Thank you for naming that. Mm-hmm.
3: Um,
0: <laughs> there is, so what's interesting to me is while we were going through a lot of this this year, now me and you both know, like this is not the only year that this has been happening. Right. It's just that this is probably the first year that I've actually seen the external shift a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, yeah. the other people are picking it up and seeming mm-hmm. to notice. And it's like, holy cow, like maybe maybe we might actually mm-hmm. have visceral change. Um, but what I thought was interesting is while this was going down, was having some discussions with some people and how, um, you know, there were a lot, even within <laughs> good intention, there were some people that I spoke with that were kind of, um, explaining why our reality wasn't actually true. Why this narrative, essentially, there was a movie that came out, the documentary, um, what is it called? Oh, old, old Tom. No. What's the, the phrase that they say? Uncle Tom. Um, Uncle Tom. There you yeah. go. Um, There's a movie that came out. And so Candace Owens is on it and other people are whatever um, that kind of talk. And to me, it's enraging to -hmm. (laughs) to watch, Mm -hmm. but to discuss this with them for people to say, um, you know, oppressed people, specifically black people, you guys are running into this narrative and you guys are under this trauma and this idea that these, these things are, 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 um, you know, like this, this oppression that doesn't exist that you believe is there. Mm and to me it's enraging because like I mean if you look at the Jewish community for instance the Jewish community does a really good job of sticking it together and I have some Jewish friends I love my Jewish friends and they've been through a Holocaust that for the most part is widely acknowledged there there are some Holocaust deniers out there and stuff like that but um, so for their trauma they've decided to kind of hone in on a system that works for them in order to keep them more protected, but there's still a lot of anti-Semites and and all kinds of stuff and that is widely acknowledged. But for black people, (laughs) they get so much resistance when it comes to us kind of trying to acknowledge our pain. And even to the point, even for myself, um, like this was the first time I even spoke out about it because it's so traumatic to have to talk about our pain all the time. And then you get called to be the diversity, you know, token and you get called to be the, this person, can you speak on this? And it's like, I'm tired of having to talk about this. Um, So in your experience, like, I mean, like you, you do speak on these topics and stuff. Um, Why do you think, especially in our culture, there is such a drive to denial, to gaslight this particular experience when we we have record, record Mm -hmm. levels of proof of showing what black people have been through and Mm -hmm. people
2: still saying, get over it. Yes, absolutely. So you, you, you said a lot there. I'm going to try to, to uh, connect with, with uh, multiple points. One is it is easier to acknowledge oppression that has happened someplace else. Mm. Right? So people talk about the Holocaust, even though, as you said, there are Holocaust deniers, that in general, to acknowledge it does not indict yourself mm. or indict this country. So you're like, yes, those people were terrible. They did terrible things over there. And so uh, to acknowledge the dehumanization and the, the uh, hundreds of years of terrorism of Black people in America, then we're talking about your great-grandfather, right? We're talking about what was done here by uh, not only your ancestors, but what continues to happen. And so denial um, makes it, easier to justify inactivity, mm. right? Because if there is no problem, if the issue is just in you all's minds, then all we need you all to do is stop thinking about it and stop talking about it and everything will be fine. If what you all are saying is true, then that would mean we have to do something and we have a problem. And so uh, that is what keeps like the denial going. And I will say what supports that is our educational system is, you know, we are, as a society, miseducated. Even now when we see the attacks on educating people about the realities of slavery, mm-hmm. that now they, you know, it's like that, that is un-American, right? Mm-hmm. That it is un-American mm-hmm. to learn to name the, 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 the wrongs that America committed. Right. And so right. some people do have this idea that if you love or care about something, then you can offer no critique. And Mm -hmm. if you offer a critique, then that means you don't really care about it. And we know that's just not accurate, right? Right. It's just not accurate. James Baldwin said, you know, it is because of my love of who we could be that I have to name the problems with who we are in this moment. Um, And so in terms of Black people within the community joining in with that denial from a trauma lens, it also makes sense because uh, what you all usually hear about is in the face of trauma trauma that we have fight or flight, right? Mm -hmm. So either people become activists or they leave and separate themselves so they don't have to deal with it so much. Um, Or we also have the freeze, those of us who are just so shocked,
3: you know, in that
2: moment that you don't have words for like, I'm one of those people where like hours later, I'm like, what I should have said. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so (laughs) some of us are like quick on the draw and some of us freeze. And then the last one, uh, last approach to trauma, which has gotten less attention is something called tend and befriend. And that is when you try to get close to the bully, you try to get close to the people in power with the hope that will make you safe. Mm -hmm. So if you grew up with domestic violence, you know, if the father was the abuser and the children identify with the father because they don't want to be with the mother who was weak and vulnerable and victimized. So when we think about racism, that for some uh, Black people, they try to say what will get them into good graces with white people. Mm-hmm. And white, many white, not all, but many white people will celebrate you if you say Black people are just complaining, this country is perfect. Yeah, Many white people will elevate you. They'll give you money to run for office. Mm-hmm. They will position you for you to speak out against the other Black people and so that becomes in some ways a survival strategy of let me figure out what they want to hear and I will say it and to a certain extent I'll even believe it
0: Mm, yeah it also denies your own trauma like it's a way of not having to deal with your own trauma um it's interesting because I had so uh, I had a number of people a shocking number of people who would send me that documentary after we spoke about racism and I wrote a a long, like drawn out thing about saying, listen, I've been through this personally. Please don't send me a, like here, look, this is a, another way that you can look at this when you haven't, been, you have no skin in the game, essentially.
2: Yeah. And, um, and it's important. I'm sorry. It's also important to say, this is not just a difference of opinion. We're talking mm-hmm. about facts. Yeah. So the disparities in home loans by race have been documented. The disparities in terms of admissions and in have been documented, meaning when they give people the same application and just change the name to a Black-sounding name, everything else in the application is the same. The one with the Black-sounding name is more likely to be denied, to be denied a job, to be denied housing, to be denied a loan. So this isn't just some people think this and some people think that. The realities of racial disparities, even in COVID-19, are facts. These are facts. So it's not a matter of, well, what do you think? And let's look at it from another lens. Uh, Racism continues and it persists and it's really uh, not debatable.
0: Right. And, you know, I saw a meme. I live by memes. I love memes (laughs) Um, that said something about like, this is, um, you know, this is not a difference of opinion. This is not like whether or not like you like pineapple on your pizza, like we can be friends still, but not about this, you know, right, right. and, um, even some of my friends who've come forward with some of their opinions, it's, it's really shifted the way that our, our friendship feels. Yeah. Because it's like, if you have to go look in a book to look at someone who essentially is what you said, tend and befriend,
2: mm-hmm. um, in
0: order to say, actually, Aaliyah, let me show you mm-hmm. an opinion you've never seen before. And it's like, <laughs> I'm not new yeah. to this game um, right? Yeah, to justify how you feel you're, you're, you're not even asking your friend right you're That's not saying correct. like let me let me see it through your lens uh-huh. let me see <laughs> are we friends you know what I mean like right. if right. and we're take- not
2: like if you share your wound right if yeah. I share my wound my pain and your response is to defend the perpetrator you are not my friend yeah if I come to someone and say I'm being sexually harassed at work and someone says Well, have you thought about maybe you smile at them too much? Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that is what it is. It's, it is victim blaming. Mm -hmm. um, And, uh, you know, it's important to recognize that both things exist. uh, Our strength, our genius, our creativity, our intellect, and our wounds. Because sometimes people will see one or the other, right? If they hear us talking about the wounds, then they will say, you all only see yourself as victims and you have agency and power. So you can be both traumatized and have strength and possibility. And so those, uh, why right? One does not uh, erase the other. other. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that's so important to say because that's often the argument that comes with it is like, but look, like, look they're playing basketball and look black people are rich and you know whatever and it's like gosh like you still kind of erasing the fact that like there has been there's still so much trauma ancestral and experiential and so what do you think that does because like obviously people who are listening from you know all different countries and backgrounds and everything like everybody can probably identify with some aspect of this even if you're white Mm -hmm. like if you have alcoholism in your family back until you know 19 O2 or something like that that will affect you. So, how do you think specifically um, ancestral trauma, transgenerational trauma, epigenetical trauma affects the
2: spirit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the the spiritual effects can go in multiple directions. One is it can create question and doubt. All right, because often you know if you have like a spiritual belief or a spiritual tradition or a spiritual value then things can seem like very clear cut. Mm -hmm. like, this is what it is. And then life shows up and you have to then grapple with what do I believe given this reality? It's like when people are trying to make sense of COVID-19, given whatever they're, and people have have come up with all kinds of ideas about spiritually what this time means, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I want to highlight for people, the doubt and the working through is not a bad thing. To me, that's a sign of spiritual maturity, mm-hmm. right? In our yes. early stages, we read things once, so we believed it, or someone we respected said it, so we believed it. And so then it's just repetition, like it's just reciting. Yeah. So sure. it is not until life hits and I have to wrestle with it that then I come to some clarity about, you know, what is true, uh, what what is real, what is relevant for me. Um in the New Testament, there are Uh, disciples. And one of them, his name is Thomas. And I uh, really laughed because I was talking to a woman and she said, Thomas was always her favorite disciple. And that was amazing to me because like usually Thomas is held up as the bad example. He had doubt and everyone says, don't be a doubting Thomas. He even has a nickname, doubting Thomas, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the woman I was talking to, she said, you know what I always liked about Thomas is he wasn't sure, but he kept showing up. And Mm -hmm. I thought that is so beautiful, right? To leave room for the mystery, that I don't have all the answers, I don't have to be at know-it-all, I don't have to be so rigid, and yet I keep showing up with my practice, I keep showing up with my prayer meditation, I I keep showing up with my traditions, um, even though I don't claim to have it all figured out. So it also requires a, a sense of humility in our grappling. Um, I will say that for some people, in the face of trauma, they can lose their faith or spirituality because of the unfairness of it all. Yeah. Right. As they say, well, like I thought there were these spiritual rules kind of governing the world, and if like evil or hatred or all of these things are allowed to prosper in this way, then like maybe there is no rhyme or reason. Maybe there is no higher power, or God. Maybe there is no order to it. And so people can become in a very like despairing place Mm of feeling like it doesn't make sense. And then the last one I'll mention is that for some people, it takes them even deeper into their spirituality because they'll say like, this is the one thing that, that holds me together, right? That all of this is madness. All of this is foolishness. And like that, this right. When I, when I'm able to see things, and connect with things on a spiritual level, then that allows me to have hope, even as I'm looking around at at a lot of despair. And -hmm. it's important to note that a lot of movements in the U.S. and abroad often emerged out of communities of faith, because in some ways you have to believe in more than what you can see in order to fight for it and to work for it, you know, because it's been taking so long, what else could fuel you? Because while the rage is present, The rage alone is unsustainable, Mm -hmm, right? I can be outraged, but in order to keep putting one foot in front of the next, trying to make things happen, um, it requires a level of hope, a level of faith. And I want to name also what you said about this summer for many people being an awakening, and want to name that it's the first time that in all 50 states, we had protests for uh, racial justice and for equity. And for us to, to, to take in the hope of that, right? And while, you know, we still have caution and we're seeing backlash and all of those things, um, to, to be mindful eat, that there are a number, uh, a larger number of people who do want equity, who do want justice, who operate in compassion um, or, or who desire to operate in compassion. And that can fuel us to keep doing this work.
0: Hmm. Girl, I have chills.
2: (laughs) You speak with such, such a peaceful
0: vibration that I align with so well. Um, so there was something that you said, um, you know, just in the spirit of through this process of this awakening, right. Um, I have whole held the spiritual belief for the last two years that 2020 was going to be a hot mess. And I wasn't sure how, But I was like, there's going to be this giant awakening and awakening is, you know, kind of the general word now everybody's using, but essentially an unveiling Mm -hmm. and that we would get to see it. And so for a lot, from a lot of spiritualist perspective, they were like, oh yeah, the earth is transitioning into this new vibration and peace and love and joy and harmony. And I was like, I don't know if it's going to be that, that would be (laughs) nice, but it is a move towards that. And in the process of that, we are kind of seeing What I always say: the couch get moved and the roaches scurrying. Mm -hmm. It's like that—that polarity of those two: the light and the dark coming together, and people seeing like, okay, their time is up, and they're gonna start acting out. So we're watching that right now. We're seeing it right now, and like you said, the first time in fifty states, it was all over the world. People in Korea were protesting and stuff, and I was like, this is incredible. This is the first time I've seen it on this scale, and the first time I felt. I wouldn't say safe, but safer. Yeah, um, and actually yeah. speaking up about it.
2: That's right, and and when you looking out at the protests and seeing it being intergenerational, mm. um, multicultural, you know, people from all different uh, walks of life, from uh, wealthy to impoverished, uh, this this it, it's an important season we're living in, living in, and it is also exposure mm. uh, because not only do we see a lot of compassion show up but we also saw a lot of hatred revealed uh, Mm -hmm. that has been covert or undercover. Um, And one of the things I appreciate about uh, your podcast and you uh, creating space for this is it lets us see that spirituality and activism can walk hand in hand as opposed to what's called spiritual bypassing. Yes. So with spiritual bypassing, it's like, oh, I'm so into gratitude. I can't watch the news, right? Yeah. I'm so into gratitude that I don't want to talk about anything bad or, you know, negative. And so, you know, the tradition that I was raised in was that my love for people and my desire for righteousness does not allow me to be silent in the face of oppression. Mm -hmm. And so activism is a sacred calling. It's it's sacred work. And so if if I am meditating and I come out of my meditation and I see injustice and say nothing, then what was the point of the meditation? Mm -hmm. Because what, you know, these spiritual practices are not just uh, for your self-elevation it is for you to be able to operate with more clarity and compassion in the world. And so uh, because I am spiritual, I cannot close my eyes. And mm-hmm. so uh, there's an African proverb that says, when you pray, move your feet. <laughs> when you pray, move your feet. And so, you know, while you're, you know, getting zenned out and meditating and aromatherapy, all of that is to fuel you for what? Mm-hmm. Right. You are you are fueling yourself, you are feeding your well, so that you can activate, right, and, and be the change in the world that we are looking for, and so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful for you creating Thank the you. space for that.
3: Yes, <laughs> you. yes. You said
0: something very important, and I heard one of my guides speak to me right when you said it. You said this is in order to activate, and activate being the root word, guys of activism (laughs) and we often talk about this DNA activation, right? Of like this big awakening that's happening, people stepping into their spiritual selves and kind of understanding more about like, um, you know, we are all one and starting to have that universal compassion, universal love and kind of seeing like, okay, we can start to see things are uneven for other people. Like how can we show up? And so it is not just about activating ourselves. It's about activating everyone, which is what activism is. (laughs) Right. So, so, so beautiful that you made that connection. Um, so for people who have experienced that, like, you know, um, something that has been really important for me to say to myself, um, and as I have my ancestors on my altar behind me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, is that this stops with me. Mm -hmm. And like that, I love the one that you mentioned earlier that you're, um, or maybe you mentioned it earlier, maybe it was on your podcast I listened to, but that you're, that you are your ancestors greatest dream. And yeah. I love that because I was like, and let yes. me just say
2: that 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 phrase is not uh, mine. I have right. picked it up. It's in so and in paintings and T-shirts, but definitely that we are the manifestation of their dreams and prayers.
0: Yes, and so with that, their th- everything that they've been through, what they've gone through, has been this great sacrifice towards you know, kind of like finding, getting out of this trauma. It's interesting, uh, my father. Um, highly traumatized, uh, his family, I mean, our family, <laughs> highly traumatized, lots of trauma that they've experienced, lots of, um, held beliefs, limiting beliefs, systems that are there. And, um, even to the point of therapy will not go to therapy, kind of demonitizes people who go to therapy that they're weak and, you know, whatever. I remember, um, with my ex-husband, um, my dad saying like, he was, he was in <laughs> It wasn't great. But my dad's saying, Oh, well, you, you know, you're lucky you have a husband that goes to therapy then you should be grateful. That's what he said. You should be grateful that you have a husband that goes to therapy. And I was like, well, hold on. What does that say about you for my mom? You know, like he, though he wouldn't go to therapy for my mom and that he was, you know, vehemently against it. And so just to know that that was, that stigma was there, you know, like it may have still been there with me if my mom hadn't gone to school for psychology.
2: And oh, so she
0: going to go be a psychologist and then end up finishing cause uh, she had four children. Um, but to have that balance to see the difference between the two for someone who has an ability to be able to look introspectively and someone who has too much trauma to do so and or won't and chooses not to. And so just like with spiritual bypassing where we decide we're going to do all the positive and we're going to go above and yeah. not have to think about that the same with like, I don't know, negative bypassing we can mm-hmm. do without Mm -hmm. kind of looking at whatever is actually going on and being like, this is just how the world is. And this is how the reality is. And this is
2: how it's going to be despair. The end there's no right. It's true that some people arm themselves with pessimism,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: right? Because it it's, it's lowering my expectations because then I can't be disappointed. Right. So it's like, nothing's going to change. People are going to be terrible. It is what it is. Right. And, you know, we want to, um, when we hear that, uh, as you were saying, like, know where that's coming from in terms of like your dad having, you know, the, this history of trauma. And so when I'm in spaces, and it can be really hard if you're in an organization or a meeting yeah. and you have the, the naysayer, right, who no matter what people say, they're like, that's not going to work. That's right. not going right. to work. Right. And so, you know, what I hear that that is it's more, uh, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Try that. Right. I'm scared that you're going to be disappointed, that we're going to be disappointed. So let's not get our hopes up. Right. And so then uh, for us to hear it as the wound. And that's a part of for our healing from ancestral trauma requires uh, identifying the way the wound shows up in you. Right. Because for each of us, it can show up differently. And until I see it, here's the thing is we'll often think that's my personality. Right. Or that's just me. You know, when you say to someone like, why are you looking mean all the time? That's just my face. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. Actually, that, you're holding years that, and years <laughs> and years of trauma. Right. So when we start, and that can be, you know, challenging for our identity when we start to say, you know, how much of this that I'm calling me is maybe the womb? Mm-hmm. And can I give, while that can be in some ways disheartening, it also can be freeing. The word you said at the beginning of when I realized. Um, this is what has been, um, but I don't have to remain in that, holding on to that. Like that's my identity, right. right? If it's my wound, then I can work to heal it. As opposed to it's my identity, then that's just who I am.
3: Mm,
0: that that's important because that was actually my next question. Once we get through the idea and figure out, okay, um, what is ancestral trauma? What is epigenetical trauma? How do
2: we heal it? Yeah, like you just you said it. Like, right? Don't you have more to add, right? So identifying um, the way the wound shows up in your life, and then uh, you know, it, it's multiple levels. So on a cognitive or a thought level, it is challenging the beliefs, the core beliefs or assumptions that I have been living by, and a part of that requires from liberation psychology, which comes out of Latin America a consciousness raising and so with consciousness raising i learned to see myself in context and within these systems so for example if i was working with a woman around body image it's one thing if i just see her as an individual who just you know has unhealthy thoughts about her body then i would just say you just need to like shift your thinking but if i came from a feminist a multicultural feminist a liberation perspective then i would say of course Of course, growing up in this society, you despise your body, Mm -hmm. right? You have been, from as long as you could see and hear, you have received messages intentionally to talk you out, like, of your worth and to Mm -hmm. make you not take up space, right? And so then when I see it in context, it doesn't mean that then there's a part for me to play as an individual, but I am actually not the root of this pathology, Mm -hmm. right, for us to really take that in so that even when we talk about dealing with racism, it's not just ignore them, right? If I only thought of racism as a few people not liking me, then it would work for a therapist to say, just ignore them. But when I recognize it as systemic and pervasive, then I will respond in a different way in terms of your uh, preparation for that. Mm -hmm. And so we talk Mm -hmm. about um, decolonizing psychology or decolonizing your mind and so that is really pushing up against these beliefs um, of self-hatred, uh, these beliefs that are fear-based, uh, these beliefs which are false, right? And we can do that with journaling. We can do that with expressive arts. We can do that that with in, uh, indigenizing our healing. And so you know, the, before the field of psychology existed, people had ways of knowing themselves and healing themselves. And so. Um, the the psychotherapy is important, and also looking at what are the ways that people from your community healed. And then you'll see some overlap. So for example, in many communities that have the oral tradition, it was with storytelling,
3: right? right? Right.
2: Well, now in psychology, we have a fancy uh, word that we either say narrative therapy, or we call it exposure therapy, of learning to tell your story and get in touch with your feelings and uh, shifting the way you think about yourself right mm-hmm. but you know our great great grandparents would sit around telling their story or now when we uh, look at a research around polyvagal theory and how people respond to trauma they have these multi-million dollar grants to discover that one of the ways to calm yourself along with breathing is humming And anybody who grew up anywhere connected (laughs) to Black, indigenous people of color, and I would say even church mothers, Mm. you would see them rocking and humming, rocking and humming. And now we have science to say rocking and humming (laughs) is really quite therapeutic. So, you know, I would say push past the stigma and get a liberation-oriented, social justice-oriented and aware therapist, and also incorporate some of the traditions of people who came before you, who, who had a lot of wisdom.
0: Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. I have absolutely nothing to add. That was so thorough and beautiful. <laughs> oh, uh, especially okay. the, the humming thing. That is such a thing. i my mom used right. to call it sway bar. I don't know what that means, but like we, I, we rock so much. Yes. And yes. I remember sitting with my grandma and mm. she's sing, singing the hymn, mm. right. you know, just yes. humming them. Wouldn't really sing yes. them. Mm. And Yeah. That's like such a, it's not something I ever think about. It's just been a part of our culture. That's right. It's been passed down. It's just normal. i never put name to it. That's cool. Um, okay. So we're going to switch gears now and talk about battle fatigue. Hmm. And this to me is really important because we get on, especially like watching, I'm going to start with the George Floyd. And when that all went down, because that was most notable for a lot of people, but, um, after, you know, people were online and they were posting and, um, you know, our, our Instagram was filled with all kinds of, uh, aspects of awareness. At some point people started getting tired Mm -hmm. and then people didn't want to post anymore and people didn't want to think about it anymore. And people were like, okay, can we like talk about something else? And for those of us who go through it personally, it's hard to talk about anything else. It's finally like an avenue to open up and actually be, um, essentially exposure therapy, like start talking and telling our story. Um, and then there would be people that would get online and start fighting with other people and saying, see, you're just a virtue signaler, or you're just a performative, uh, you know, whatever and start getting at people. But there's a very real fatigue that does happen when you are exposed to levels of trauma like that. And then I even had some people come to me and say, why aren't you speaking more about this? And I was like, I'm sorry, I go through this every day. I don't feel like I need to talk about it every day. So back up, but you know, just kind of like, there's first of all, everybody's just you know, hacking everyone on the internet. That's just a separate yeah. thing. But, you know, can we talk about like how just tiring it is to not one, just live it, but then to be exposed to it over and over and over. I saw the, um, you know, guys at the time we we're recording this, we just found out about the non-indictment of Breonna Taylor
3: mm-hmm. and
0: seeing that news and then seeing how you know, the cop was in one cop was indicted for the shots he missed,
3: mm-hmm.
0: like for the shots that he got a neighbor's house, not even for the shots mm-hmm. he put into her, and that level for for me personally, I'm sure you as well, like as a black woman, it's like wow, like we are not even um, close to just <laughs> the the observational safety that we would like yeah. to have, and thinking that we're just we're disposable. that Mm -hmm. way and so um what do people do when we're dealing with that over and over and over again
2: yes so i would say the key is rest but not quit Mm -hmm. right so the rest is you know i need to take time out i want to focus on some other things because the other part is we don't want to just live our lives in reaction Mm -hmm. right but it is you know if i'm anti-racist right, which, you know, I hope we will all have that aim, then also what am I for, right? Mm -hmm. I'm anti-racism. I am for liberation. I am for flourishing. I am for thriving. I am for the fullness of life. And so uh, we all use our social media in diverse ways, and you will have people who want to patrol, and I'll even intentionally use the word police, Mm -hmm. uh, other people's accounts, and say like you know that everything that you post needs to be about racism. Well, that's that some people call that some people's calling, right? right? That is, and those and you know those pages. I go to that page, and every post is going to be about racism. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not the way I choose to show up in the space because I believe for me, um, I uh, for me a whole life does not make oppression the center of my life. And so I- Say that again. Yes, a whole life does not make oppression the center of my life. Mm. And so I am aware of it, I combat it, I counter it, and I will not allow it to occupy me 24 seven. I will not allow it to imprison me that I cannot think, feel, laugh, dance about anything uh, except for that. And for those who, you know, that uh, it, that is the way their life's work shows up. I have there's no disrespect for that. That is what, you know, Howard Thurman, a theologian, African American theologian, he said, "Do the thing that makes you come alive, because there are far too few of us who are alive." Mm. And so, uh, if if that is the way it shows up for you, uh, then yes, the 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 key is that being able to live in the fullness of life is not a permission slip to quit, right? So that means uh, even though I say, you know, every post is not about it, I'm also doing work to address it, like in my real life, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Like My social media is an account, but yeah. I have a real life where I am doing like, you know, uh, uh, work in person and in, in live yeah. in the flesh, right? Yeah. And so um, I, I want to really raise that distinction because some people who are not engaged at all are just looking for permission or an excuse to do nothing and to say, well, you know, it's all exhausting. So, and that goes back to the spiritual bypass, right? So, uh, to think about the ways in which you want to show up for this work of social justice, racial justice and equity, and to know oppression is multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. It attacks us on multiple levels, so then the response is multidisciplinary, and we don't have to all fight it the same way. Meaning, for some people, it's going to be marching with signs. For some people, that you might be a school teacher, and so changing the artwork in your classroom, changing the books that you assign. For some, it's and being anti-racist in my parenting. What are you telling your children, including for white people? How do I raise an anti-racist child intentionally, Mm -hmm. right? What are the messages that I tell them? Uh, For those who are uh, wealthy, thinking about what are you donating to? What are you supporting? And even let me say that people who are not wealthy are actually percentage-wise donate more. Um, And so some people will give it with their resource. And those who are artists, oh my goodness. Uh, And some people have used this term artivism using my art for activism. So there are multiple ways in which you can engage and we need all of it. And so um, it's not performance on demand, but there is a demand for me to be engaged and then for the issue of fatigue, also for me to rest. Mm -hmm. That we recognize, especially in this culture and climate, that people of color in particular in this nation, uh, our value has been defined by our labor right? That, you know, work, work, work. we have these terms, grind, lean in, hustle. income, hustle, you've been producing in a pandemic, right? All that, la, 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 la. And so it is a radical act for a black woman in America to be still on purpose. Mm. <laughs> it is a radical, radical revolutionary act. Instead of doing 10 million things and being superwoman to say, like, what are you doing today? Absolutely nothing. I'm doing nothing on purpose. And so, you know, we are uh, recording on a Sunday. And I think that is significant for whenever people want to, some people do Sabbath on Saturday, some people do it Monday, but to be intentional about a lifestyle um, with pause, not just action, but intentional, sacred pause to be still, to not have to perform for anybody to just like as our grandmothers would say, go lay down somewhere, <laughs> go, <laughs> go, go lay down somewhere, <laughs> so that is necessary, and it's revolutionary, so when you're marching, that's resistance, when you're resting, that's also resistance.
0: Thank you for that permission, you know, like so many yeah. of us need to hear that, um, that it's so funny, your grandmother says it the same way mine does, <laughs> go lay down somewhere, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Um, I know you're almost out of time. I would love just if you could just speak to our listeners in spirit, like what is the lasting thing that you want
2: to reflect to their hearts today? Yeah, I want to feed on today on the possibility of post-traumatic growth. That often we hear about post-traumatic stress and we hear about the distress and we hear about the fatigue, but I also want to name that we are so much more than our wounds, that we are so much more than the distraction, uh, that we are even so much more than the terror. And so our aim is not only to address our distress and our pain, but also to get to purpose. What are you here for? What are the gifts that have been dormant and derailed as a result of the stress and trauma of your life? What are the things that make you come alive to go and do that? And to recognize that our wellness matters more than our productivity. And I know you want to produce, and I know you know we want to be busy, uh, but it is important for there to be wellness for you And the last thing I want to say is we have found, uh, again, with uh, some research, that affirmations, if you speak over yourself affirmations that you do not believe, it causes more distress. Right. So instead, you want to speak the affirmation as a process, right? So instead of just saying, you know, I am at peace if I don't feel peace, and instead, I am leaning toward peace. I am learning to embrace my peace. I am seeking inner peace. And so to speak that truth uh, over yourself. And for those, and I am guessing, I know we may have seekers or those who are curious who are listening, but for those who are open uh, to spiritual blessing, then I would speak over your life in this moment, blessing from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, that your peace would be multiplied that your joy would be restored, that you would know wellness intimately, and that you would come home to yourself.
0: All right, guys. Tama, like this was so beautiful today. This was my church, okay? How wonderful! (laughs) And divine timing, like the the, it started to like rain, just burst open and rain as you started to do the blessing, Mm -hmm. and I thought that it was really beautiful.
2: Beautiful,
0: yeah. Guys, go go to her stuff. Go to her links. Look at her stuff. She's such a peaceful present presence, and. As in the midst of some of the, the hardest things to talk about. Like I haven't felt stressed, which is great. <laughs> That's good. So if you like this episode, please share this with someone you love and make sure to rate and subscribe. So you never miss an episode, reach out to her. Uh, you're an incredible presence. Thank you so much for being on the oh, show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll see you guys in the next one. Bye. enjoyed that episode. Um, It was such a treat to learn from her. She's so well-versed and such a calm presence when you're speaking to her. Um, And now we're going to get into our weekly wisdom card. So this week I pulled for us the community card and I think that it's quite timely given that we are coming into the holidays for a lot of us and we are going to be engaging in communities and some, some facet either virtually or in person and uh it's time to kind of evaluate like you know what is your community doing for you and not necessarily in a selfish way but who in your life is contributing to you and making you feel expanded versus who are people in your life that are taking away from you and making you feel contracted and making choices that you know, essentially, like, give yourself the Marie Kondo of, like, does this bring me joy or not? And give yourself an opportunity to reveal, not just to yourself, but possibly to the other people in your life, uh, what your boundaries are. Because I think, especially during the holidays, we get in circumstances with our family where we're just like, oh, we just don't want to deal with them. Or um, we have some traumatic responses towards having these interactions with people we don't necessarily want to deal with. And maybe it's time for you to look at those boundaries and give yourself an opportunity to say, you know what, maybe not this year. <laughs> maybe I don't. I don't need to sit in front of uncle joe or uncle tom or whoever and um and, and engage in these conversations that give me anxiety or triggering and or maybe i devote more time to the people in my life who show up for me and instead of the people that i feel obligated to see instead so while that may sound selfish to some i do believe that in community we need to uh, prioritize um, our relationships that, that feed us more so than the ones that drain us. So take that with you today. And I hope you guys have an amazing week until next time. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like a card reading, you know, to go to the and schedule a reading and I will hopefully see you in the near future. Bye.